All right, friends, I have to share this story with you uh, here first off in the program because it is so good and spot on. You do not want to miss it. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Welcome to the What's Right show brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law because you deserve what's right. For, I don't know, at least 10 years, going back to my early days of starting out in radio in Los Angeles, I can tell you that I've been covering this uh, spectacle, I guess is one way of putting it, colleges creating safe spaces, trigger warnings, and other mechanisms to protect kids, college students, young adults, from being exposed to traumatic and harmful material. Now, from the start, I could have told you exactly how this would end. I remember talking about I remember saying, listen, guys, this sounds like a terrible idea. The idea of sending our young people to college is, I guess, theoretically, to have these be the best and brightest that society has to offer and create the next leaders of this country, people in important positions, professionals, and the like, uh, creating a system that coddles them, creating an environment that uh, fails to test them, expose them to challenging thoughts, to challenging emotion, a system that doesn't toughen them up but just coddles them, into becoming emotionally vulnerable weaklings never sounded like a good idea to me. So here, writing for the New York Post, Ricky, uh, Ricky Schlott says, colleges are making Gen Z mental health crisis worse with trigger warnings. Yeah, no duh. Of course this is going on. This, this, listen to this. Apparently, suicides, and this is no laughing matter, it's a serious deal, suicides across American campuses now are over a thousand per year. It's the second leading cause of death for college students. Why? Well, I'm gonna tell you why. I think that colleges are taking in uh, legions of depressed 18 to 20 year olds, 22 year olds who are already coming out of elementary school, middle school, high school, being told by their teachers, confused by their teachers about who they are, what gender they are, being told that in some cases they don't matter. Imagine right now being, for example, a high school student in a progressive school somewhere in, you know, in the public school system in America, being white, being male, and being told that, that you essentially are the worst of the worst to check your privilege at the door being blamed for everything bad that occurs in the world. This kind of stuff goes on in classrooms. We've seen it. The video and the, um, the curriculums are out there for everybody to examine. So it's, it's, it's happening. So these kids then go to college and it gets only worse. These administrators, these schools have now for such a long time pandered right to this supposedly helping students with mental health, but it, it hasn't been anything about that. This has been 
wow, this, you know what this was always all about. It was, it was always about giving administrators the power to uh, ban and otherwise eliminate uh, viewpoints that they didn't like. This was always about censorship. That's what they always wanted to do here. And, and they excused it as saying, well, we've got to protect sensitive students. So all the, you know, all the, 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 you know, the timeout rooms and, and places where students could go to, to, to recover from, a, uh, from the trauma of having to be in a classroom and learn perhaps something that they didn't want to learn about. All the times that all the pages and, 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 and minutes wasted in each class with trigger warnings. All that does is, by the way, first off, makes it nearly impossible for a student to actually learn anything. When you're talking about the sciences is one thing. I mean, it's for the most part, well, not anymore always, but black and white uh, when it comes to, you know, certain rules, let's say physics, uh, chemistry, etc. Uh, but, uh, but when it came to the, to the political sciences, the humanities, I mean, imagine, right, learning anything about history comprehensively and accurately and having to do it through t trigger warnings and through censoring anything that might be, you know, troubling or traumatic to students. The bulk of human history is one giant trauma. And by the way, learning about it in the context of a classroom from a book is certainly better than having to relive it uh, by repeating the same mistakes that society has made in centuries past. That's the truth. But these administrators, and I remember this when I first, oh, many years ago, graduated high school, went straight to the University of California in Irvine, where I spent a couple years and then uh, bounced, uh, did some stuff, was productive, started a business, and later went back to school to finish up at Chapman. But that's my story. But regardless, I, I remember uh, this was in the late 90s, being at a University of California campus. And I was, was a humanities major, so I had, you know, I was, did, took a lot of history classes. And I mean, this was left-wing socialist communist propaganda. Imagine being told, I remember one professor, we had a, a survey course on European history. So you, you basically went through an enormous amount of history, centuries and centuries of history in three trimesters. Uh, so you can imagine you, you, you didn't spend any you know, appreciable length of time on any one particular event. And uh, it was the entire uh, focus of that class when it came to the two days, maybe day and a half of lecture on the French Revolution was on a feminist reading of the French Revolution. And I remember I, being the guy that I am now, I was somewhat back then, I you know, raised my hand in class, this is nonsense. I mean, we, we got one day on this, really. You're going to give us a feminist reading? And the guy, um, the, the, I mean, the professor, uh, I, I didn't report me. Maybe 10 years later, he would have reported me, but he sent me an email threatening to report me uh, for offensive uh, behavior in the classroom that was causing trauma to fellow students. All the way back then, 
professors, instead of engaging with me with a valid criticism and debating me on its merits, are saying, Sam, we're going to wait till after class or let's schedule a meeting to discuss this. There was no discussion. It was immediately that my speech was causing people trauma. And so I'm telling you, they've used this to silence opposing viewpoints. They've used this to be able to run roughshod over higher education with their ideology. They've used this to strengthen their positions and be able to go after, for example, tenured professors who perhaps do not share their viewpoints and be able to oust them on the basis of harm to students. All of this has happened, by the way. And the net result is kids are, and the left always like to say, people are literally dying because of guns. Students are literally dying because they are too mentally fragile to deal with the rigors of life. And that is tragic. That is unacceptable. And we are creating generation after generation of weak losers. Let that sink in. Now, I'm bringing this up today in part, not just because I saw the article, but I was talking to a colleague, uh, somebody who uh, works in a different industry, but, uh, but marketing related. And we were, we were discussing the, the challenges of working He's based out in Los Angeles and was, was discussing the, the challenges of dealing with Gen Z. And he has a team of Gen Z gals. And the, I mean, the, you know, you'd think that the most difficult part of going to work uh, would be, let's say, to accomplish what you need to accomplish. No, the most challenging thing for him as a manager of a group of Gen Z people is dealing with their emotional fragility, their feelings, their problems. Everybody wants to be heard. And if we don't get back, my friends, to telling young people to grow a pair and get over it, wipe their tears, and get back to work, we are going to be, as a country, in an even greater world of hurt than we are at this point. Mark my words. Sam Merchofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The Woods Right Show. I'll be back in just a moment. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Welcome, friends. Sam Rajovsky here, host of the What's Right Show, Nevada's favorite, recovering Californian, reporting for duty today. Uh, Thursday, uh, yesterday, I, I want to, those of you who are based here in Las Vegas, kind of a strange, uh, strange day, uh, weather-wise, because I got this, I got this report from, from the wife as she was going to pick up, uh, the kids at school. I'm on air, so I didn't, I don't always, I look at my emails, I check my emails, in case any of you are reaching out to me, which of course you can always do, Sam at samandashlaw.com. Sam at samandashlaw.com is my email. Now, I'm so I'm looking at my email, not checking my phone, and she, she sends me a, a picture of just a torrential downpour uh, by my kid's school. And I mean, it is, you know, where I was, was perfectly fine. 
And it, it just was the storm. That, and then later we got some drops, of course, downtown. But I, I, it just was a, the strangest thing how yesterday there was this pocket of, of weather that moved through Vegas. And at the same exact moment that it is pouring, uh, let's say, you know, Spring Valley sort of Chinatown area between there, um, it is, you know, sunny and, and, and beautiful in other parts of the valley. Just, I mean, just pointing this out, it's, you know, people think of Vegas, those of you listening outside of Vegas, you, you think of it as this relatively small, contained geographically space, but we still have some bizarre weather phenomena here, and no doubt we can blame climate change for it. That's right. All right, uh, Rupert Murdoch resigning, 70 years in media. He's 92. I don't know, how is this, uh, how is this big news? I'm going to tell you, the, the, the sad thing is, I, I saw a number of commentators, conservative commentators, you know, say things to the effect of that this is, um, this is a good thing, right? That, uh, you know, long live MAGA and that kind of thing. I, I don't know. I think, uh, well, I think Lachlan, who is the son, who's taken over, who's the CEO of Fox News, is far more cautious and corporate and left wing than Rupert Murdoch. And I think, you know, I don't think Fox News is going to be the thought leader, you know, into the next, you know, in the next 10 years, the way that it was uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So I, this is not, I don't know, it's expected, it is not surprising. And I think, you know, Fox News for me is just significantly less interesting than it once was. And that's because, I'll be honest, I am just generally um, completely uh, over journalists as just a general rule. Now, that's not to say that there are, there are some journalists who I admire deeply and who are uh, noble and who fight the good fight. And, and certainly, you know, they're out there. And, and, and by the way, there's certain newspapers who I, I don't even think that they have a single good journalist. Um, or at least a fair one. Uh, but I'm, I'm just, it's, to me right now, it has never been a better time to consume news because of places like Twitter, uh, now X, um, blogs, Substack, all these different sources online that allow us to hear directly from incredible content producers. Because it used to be if a guy wanted to you know, if somebody had something to say, I don't want to say a guy, it could be a, a gal too, but somebody has something to say and they're smart and they, they want to report the news and be in journalism. They would need to be hired by a newspaper. They would need to be hired by a media company in order to be heard. And there was no other way around it. You couldn't self-publish. But because of Substack, because of other news sites where you can go and, and essentially be you know, you know, self-published uh, reporter, you know, and, and people can subscribe. You can even, you know, derive a little bit of income from it. I mean, it's freelancing is, is incredible. And then there's all the other commentators that, you know, may not necessarily be journalists, but they're still reporting news and they're giving you information in a way that, in a, in a, in a format, in a way that is, has never been better. And I think this is in part why, uh, a number of these media companies are thrashing about right now because they recognize that they no longer have a mon monopoly. The internet basically did away with that. 
and it's getting more and more, more and more difficult, right, to tell everybody what to think, even in matters where Fox and CNN and MSNBC are all on the same page. Because I can tell you, I, I, I rarely watch Fox. I used to consume Fox News, I mean, every day, five days a week, six. Now, I still, you know, I find myself watching CNN more because I, I need to know what, I need to know what stupid stuff they're up to because that's oftentimes the source of some of the best material here for the program. So I'm, I'm over there quite a bit, but, but I, you know, this is a totally different world. And, and, and the, and the proof is if you look at, you know, Fox news and, and, and you'll see drudge and others, you know, crowing about the fact, fact that Fox News's ratings are up since they fired Tucker, that they dipped, but then they've gone back up and that they're higher than ever and all this stuff. They're fighting over, you know, two, three, four million people tuning in. And then a guy like Tucker goes on, on Twitter and is able to broadcast his message to literally tens, if not hundreds of millions of people. Elon Musk put it one way and looking at the stats, with Fox News, you go national. With Twitter X, you go global. And there's something to be said about that. Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, by the way, that's another example. You know, he, he, founded, he founded The Intercept, right, Robbie? Um, it's, he, he was booted from it. But Glenn Greenwald is a, is a really phenomenal journalist. He's now based, I believe, down in Brazil. His husband passed away recently kind of tragically a figure, but he, he's a, he, he was kind of this left-wing guy. I mean, he broke the, he, he broke the Edward Snowden story, okay? So he had, you know, he, he's, he's the guy that, that really got into some of the abuses under George W. Bush, and, and, and it was, you know, pegged as this liberal guy, but in the ensuing years has become a real champion voice for, um, you know, for, for uh, against, quite frankly, all of this um, uh, oppression and and censorship that is coming not from the Republicans but from the Democrats. All of this, you know, all these Twitter files now that are that that you know have been leaking out and coming out through various pieces of of, of litigation, uh, cases moving through the courts, you know, things that I mean, Alex Berenson, right? That whole matter. So this was this, and, and he's self-publishing now. He's got a. You know, he broadcasts a, a small show, and he, he's he's doing this in a in a really phenomenal way. So I'm just it's just a, it's a it's a brand new bold time to be alive and be consuming news. And don't let anybody tell you that Twitter is dead. It is right now. Twitter X is probably the most exciting place to be. Um, and it's you know, it, of course, getting attacked left and right, and it's sometimes is buggy and whatnot, but it's for the most part, okay? You, this is the one place where conservatives go and can put their opinions up and actually have it stay up. That's not happening on you know, Facebook and, and, and certainly not. You see it with the you know, demonetization of various YouTube accounts. So Google and the like, a lot of censorship there seems to be the Twitter X is the one place where it is still going strong. Now, Speaking of journalism and censorship, Dave Portnoy, you know who he is? Barstool Sports. He caught the Washington Post ready to do a hit piece on him and turned the tables around. 
I don't know if you've seen this, but I've got the receipts on this. Unbelievable. You need to see this. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. I'll show you what this is all about when we come back. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit salmonashlaw.com. Folks, it's all interconnected. It all ties together. And my job here on the What's Right show is to make this all as clear as I possibly can. Sam Marjofsky uh, behind the What's Right microphone here Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. Common Sense Conservatism, live and local from beautiful downtown Las Vegas. Now, uh, what I mean by connecting the dots, first, of course... Uh, I, I Today I was mentioned at the top of the hour, and if you missed it, you can find this program about an hour after we get off air. Uh, it's uploaded to the podcast, so you can find that in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcasts. It's there. So we do that in case you miss any portion of it. So I, you know, I was mentioning the fragility of Gen, of Gen Z because we've now for – well over 10 years, babied young people. We've babied young adults, you know, safe spaces and trigger warnings and all that. Nobody's got any kind of uh, backbone anymore. And at the same time, right, journalistic standards have gone to hell. All the journalists coming out of these big universities, they're in an echo chamber. Hell, you can't even say in a post, you can't say that there are two genders without being expelled. Because if you say that, it's hate speech. And not only deserves a trigger warning, you will literally be removed from some of these universities for expressing a factually correct opinion. Because it's an opinion that the liberal management of these schools, the administrations and the professors and all these fanatics, they don't want to contend with it. They don't want to make the argument. And this is why yesterday, when this news came out, Dave Portnoy, of course, the founder of Barstool Sports, he sold Barstool to another company, bought it back. He's, he's kind of a, a bad boy of, 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 uh, of, I guess, sports media, but he's not a bad person. Okay, and he gets roundly singled out for being misogynistic and racist. So what happened is, is he's having some sort of a pizza fest that he's organizing, that Barstool Sports is organizing. And he, uh, one of the things that Portnoy does is he, he goes around the country and he tries different pizzas and he, and he rates them and he does these videos of him rating the pizza. And it's, it's wildly popular. People tune into this. And, you know, in, in a world of, of, of having to get eyeballs and people looking at, at material and, 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 and viewing your, your content, he's the king of it. He's very good. And he's essentially built a one of the fastest growing sports brands out there. I admire it because at the same time as he's growing by being authentically himself, I mean, you can, a company like ESPN is dying because they constantly are going further and further down the, you know, the, the woke corridor. So, of course, establishment media hate Dave Portnoy. This is what I'm most important takeaway here. They hate him because he's doing an end run 
around e the ESPNs of this world uh, and run around the CBS Sports. And then a uh, paper like Washington Post, these journalists are all, you know, think of themselves. We're legacy media. We're all on the same team. How dare this upstart guy come along and do better than us? So this reporter, Emily Heil, decides to start sending out emails to sponsors of this pizza fest that Dave Portnoy is putting on. And, and she says something in it to the effect of, you know, how dare you support someone who is so misogynistic and racist? And instead of Dave, Dave Portnoy waiting for the article to come out, he just calls her. And he calls her, he tells her, I'm recording you. Here's how it starts. And let me take you through it. This is unbelievable. Hey, Emily, this is Dave Portnoy calling. Uh, I'm recording you right now. We have this pizza fest happening on Saturday and you're reaching out to our advertisers and you're basically sending an email that says, to the effect, Dave's a misogenic racist. Do you want to defend yourselves advertising at this event, right? I'm sorry, what's your name, Dave? I'm sorry, who are you? I'm the guy you're writing the article about, Dave Portnoy. Oh, you're Dave Portnoy. Oh, hey, how are you? Good. Good. No, I'm not. I'm not I haven't said anything like that. Oh, I haven't said anything like that. So Portnoy decides to read a portion of the email that this chick sent to the sponsor. Listen. If you want, I can read what you actually sent. I have it. Yeah, yeah, read, because I, I sent a bunch of notes, so I want to make sure I know which one. Okay. Uh, we are planning to write about the festival and how and how some of the sponsors and participants have drawn criticism by seemingly to associate themselves with Dave Portnoy, who has a history of misogenic comments and other problematic behavior. I want to make sure that Blank had a chance to respond to this since the company is the most prominent and their partners of his festival. Oh, that's the one I sent to which was definitely the most pointed of them because I really did want them to respond and I was hoping to get something from them. What? Me? Send something that accuses you of being misogynistic and racist? I didn't send that. Oh, uh, now that you've read it to me, that's right. I, I did send one out. Well, I wanted to make it pointed because I was hoping that they would respond. What kind of journalism is this? Do you just lie about people in, in an incendiary fashion? Maligning their character because you want them to respond and come on the record as a source? Portnoy continues. That is pretty pointed. You said you didn't do it. Then I have the exact evidence of you doing it. So no, I didn't say I didn't do that. I said I did. That was the one that was the most. Pointed. Well, no, you, you that went before I before I provided proof. You said you didn't really remember doing that. And then I read it to you and you're like, oh, yeah, I did it that one time. So you did do it. Um, I'm happy to talk about the comments because to me, it's kind of like torturous interference. Like we're doing an event. Everyone's happy about the event. Uh, you know, I've raised 50 million for small business. I've helped pizza. None of that. It's Dave's misogenic and problematic. And I'm happy to talk about it because to me, nobody would like if someone's going around sending that email to their sponsors. And again, you're not like questioning. You're, you're, it's almost like a statement of fact. This is what I am. Bingo. Now, let me explain here. Friendly lawyer explanation. When he says it's tortious uh, interference, this is a... Uh, cause of action you can bring for civil damages when somebody is uh, deliberately trying to uh, or is affecting damage to you in a in a contract in a contractual relationship so here he has contracts with these advertisers for his event the contract says we will advertise with you and you will promote us with this event and in turn we are going to pay you money there's a contract 
And somebody coming in there and contacting these people and saying, how dare you associate with somebody that's misogynistic and problematic and a racist is interfering in that contract. It is tortious. It is something that Portnoy, if you were to prove it in a court of law, could get money damages from this reporter, from the newspaper, from Washington Post, should maybe one of these uh, one of these entities that is advertising decide, oh my God, well, they're, what? They're going to publish a story about me and my, with my name in it saying that I support racism. I can't have that. We're going to back out, right? It's not an unserious threat and there's basis for it should any of these advertisers drop out. And then Portnoy says, well, it sounds like your mind is made up already, which is, ah, oh, folks, I've dealt with enough journalists. I get called on stories. Um, and I, you know, generally, by the way, if it's anything about me, I, I don't comment. I don't talk to the media. And the reason for that is, is because it's almost always a hit piece. I mean, it's just very rarely. And, and by the way, when you do talk to reporters, from my experience, you will tell them, you will lead them literally to the water. And some of these people are so bloody stupid that they don't understand what it is that you're saying. And they write something that isn't even true. I mean, it's, it's not... It, it's not slanderous. It's just wrong. I mean, there they have. They've got notes. They've got a tape. They've got everything, and they still mess it up. If you've ever read a story about something that you are intimately aware of or, or, or have knowledge of, inside knowledge of, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about because I, anytime you read a story about something like that, you'll go, oh, well, he got it wrong there and there and there. So, yes, it does sound like minds are made up, which is pretty typical journalistic practice, unfortunately, these days. Um, I do want to talk to you about this. When were you, when were you going to reach out? We were planning on doing it tomorrow morning. Hmm. but um, So you're going to write the article and then? No, we're doing a bunch of reporting, and we wanted to make sure that when we finally did talk to you, we could really kind of present what, you know, or talk about things more fully based on Like what? what like it got. sounds like you have your opinion made of me based on no, that email. No, no. So then how, if you don't have your opinion made of me, how do you say in an intro email, Dave Portnoy has a history of misogenic comments and other problematic behavior. That's how you introduce the email. Yeah. So look, I just want you to know that this is, no, I, I want to talk to you about this, but. Um, I don't you think you should talk to me before sending that email? You hear her voice. What a pansy. This is a chick who went to college probably a good school, had trigger warnings on everything, safe spaces up the yin-yang, and now is getting confronted by somebody that she's putting the hit out on, and she cannot take it. She can't have the conversation with him right then and there because she got caught literally without the goods, dead to rights, without her notepad. She has no comeback to this. She's not even smart enough to go head to head with Portnoy. This is the problem right now with universities. This is the problem with media. This is the problem with the legacy media. This is where it all converges right in this situation. And by the way, this is why you listen to this program because I link it all together. Sometimes in the news, you feel like there's these disparate, different articles and, and news stories, and, but they all, they all connect in some way. And here's, and here's where it is. We are pumping out through loser universities sponsored by the federal government through student loans that, you know, powers that be want to write off anyway and, and, and zero out. 
through student loans funding a factory for weak idiots. And the sooner we put the end to this, the sooner that we put our foot down and say, we're not going to sponsor this kind of idiocy because we're churning out a bunch of losers, the better off our country will be. Well, this thing only gets worse. I'll I'll cover this when we come back. Got to take a quick break. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Welcome back. Sam Orjofsky here. News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show, your place for common sense, conservatism, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. Great to be with you here. This hour, as always, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Don't take any chances. If you're in a crash, call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Now, Dave Portnoy, I'm covering the story here, released a video of a call, speakerphone phone call that he had confronting uh, confronting a reporter over at the Washington Post that was preparing a hit piece on him, but not just on him, but also targeting his advertisers. Now, this seems... And I'll get to this here in a little bit, but I I want you to recognize that this is what the left-wing media does. They go after the advertisers to destroy Dave, uh, to destroy Portnoy, right, and and, uh, Barstool Sports. What they have to do is is they've got to, to cut at his revenue stream. You're seeing this happen currently, by the way, in real time uh, in the allegations uh, coming out of England, Channel 4, and whatnot. Um, In fact, I have, where do I have it here? Um, I have it in my stack of stuff. Forgive me, live radio here. My arms are only so long. Uh, This is uh, the Russell Brand situation. Culture, Media, and Sports Committee, House of Commons. uh, Letter to the Chief Executive Officer of Rumble looking to have Russell Brand taken down from Rumble with his 1.4 million followers based on allegations alone. The government of Great Britain, her ma- his majesty's, forgive me, had a Joe Biden moment there, his majesty's government literally writing to a private company to have them remove Russell Brand because of unproven allegations, no due process, and this from a country that gave us common law. Let that sink in. But they do it. That's the thing. They, they want to silence people that they don't like by any means necessary. So here they're doing it with the advertisers. At any rate, so Portnoy continues. He's got her on speakerphone. I took you for, through the first exchange here. And so the reporter keeps pressing him. This wimp of a just flabby young idiot, Emily Heil, Uh, gets confronted by Portnoy about this letter that she sent to uh, advertisers saying, as I understand it, I'm writing a piece that you are supporting Barstool Sports and Dave Portnoy, and did you know that he's a misogynistic racist? This girl doesn't want to talk to Portnoy because Portnoy, you know, got the drop on her, and so now are kind of going back and forth, and she is desperate to end the phone call. She is melting. You know why? Because when she went to college, she didn't have to deal with anything 
uh, let's say, uh, uh, confrontational. She had a safe space. She got trigger warnings. I, you know, Dave should have given her a trigger warning is what he should have done. He should have given her a safe space. Why don't you take, a, take 15 minutes and go into your little safe room there at Washington Post headquarters and, and take a nap and, and do some meditation and then let's talk. That's what he should have done. Ha, ha, ha. So it continues this way. I wanted to kind of have the full idea of what we were That's not a full idea. Like anybody who's rationally reading that email being sent to an advertiser would have to be like, this is a hit piece and you have your mind made up. Why else would you put... No, you, but you you call me in the intro. I'll say it again. Dave Portman has a history of misogynic comments and other problematic behavior. You didn't say Dave Portman who raised fifty million for small business. Dave Portman who saved thousands of pizza places. You didn't mention. You said it in a way that is putting sponsors on the defensive. And then, my friends, comes the best part. And this is one that we as conservatives fundamentally understand to be true. The reporter actually says this is standard journalism. Wow. I was worried that we would have sort of one shot to talk to you, right? And so what I wanted to do is make everything we were going to, that we wanted to talk to you about before I reached out to you. That's why. That's why I was waiting to call you. Because you wanted to have everything together before you talked to me. I got to be honest, this sends like something who's going to hit me last second, be like comments and all this negative stuff. No, this is like, uh, this is kind of standard journalistic stuff. Like, we Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I rest my case. And so does Portnoy, by the way. This is unfortunately, yes, it is standard journalistic stuff. This little beezy just did in herself and everybody of her generation and the entire cesspool that is the Washington Post in one phone call. Now, Portnoy makes it clear that, you know, there's no way, uh, given this, she was going to give him a fair shake. So... Uh, he says this. Anybody who's listening to this to think you were going to give me a fair chance when you're leading to our sponsors before you talk to me is crazy. Okay. Um, can we set up the time to talk tomorrow? Would that be okay? Like, I want to talk to you. I really do. I just want to make sure, like, I've got all my questions ready and stuff to talk to you about. Would that be okay? Can we set up a time? To say at this point in the game, when you've already written to the sponsors, let me say it again. Dave Portnoy has a history of misogenic comments and other problematic behavior. I catch you off guard on a phone call, and now you're like, no, we planned on talking to you tomorrow. Like the Washington Post, which is a wildly left-leaning publication, you have things you've said you hate trump you hate elon not that i'm those people to think you're gonna give me a fair shake i wasn't born yesterday props on this guy it's not like let's be fair here portnoy's not some conservative icon okay he's not a conservative thinker he does what he does in the sports context really well but i'll say this uh in terms of you know building from the ground up a 21st century media company which he has uh, he's a, he's an, an exemplary uh, a case study of how to do this in this evolving climate. Done it almost entirely off the, no, entirely off the internet and off of social media. And it's wildly successful. So, I mean, I, I applaud him on all of that. 
But we as conservatives uh, are, need to be particularly grateful to him because he here in a approximately a 10 minute video lays bare exactly how journalists behave. And this is why when I tell you about, I don't know, Rupert Murdoch retiring or whatnot, uh, this is why I tell you it's who cares? I shrug my shoulders because it's not like, it's not like these journalists are, you know, doing much of anything uh, and contributing much of anything of, of value, given that this is the, the, you know, this is standard journalistic stuff, according to the Washington Post. And they're frankly, they're all the same. All right, we'll be back in a minute. I'm going to talk more about this Russell Brand stuff. Megan Kelly had a surprising take on this the other day, which I disagree with. Share that with you when we return. Don't go anywhere. The West Right Show will be back after this. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Hey, did you see this thing about Budweiser? Man, they can't uh, they can't win. Sam Burchofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT, your truth teller. An irony hunter, because this, folks, uh, and I know we have other things to cover today on the What's Right Show, but this I have to share with you. Budweiser parents, so Anheuser-Busch, is now uh, apparently because of controversy surrounding their Clydesdales will stop cutting their tails. Because activists have pressured them to stop, you know, don't cut the tails off of these horses. So I guess if you are Anheuser-Busch and InBev, the parent company of Anheuser-Busch, cutting off human body parts is a go. Cutting off horse tails is not. Go figure. All right. Well, I shared with you. (laughs) I'm just just telling you. You know, I mean, from the folks that brought you Dylan Mulvaney, You've, yeah, the very manifestation of the transgender nip and tuck movement. That's fine. But leave the horse tails uh, alone. All right. Yeah, I shared the, this article, and this article, excuse me, a letter that was published, sent by the Culture, Media, and Sports Committee from the House of Commons in Great Britain. This is the Parliament of the United Kingdom. And this letter to the head of Rumble, which is one of the platforms that carries uh, Russell Brand's content, 1.4 million followers, apparently. Um, They believe that Rumble should examine its relationship with Russell Brand in the wake of these allegations that have come out this week, uh, beginning Sunday night. Uh, The letter goes this, I'm writing concerning the serious allegations regarding Russell Brand in the context of his being a content provider on Rumble. And this is uh, with more than 1.4 million followers. The Culture, Media, and Sports Committee is raising questions with the broadcasters and production companies who previously employed Mr. Brand to examine both the culture and industry. However, we are also looking at his use of social media, including on Rumble, where he issued his preemptive response to the allegations made by him 
by the Sunday Times and the Channel 4 dispatches. While we recognize that Rumble is not the creator of the content, we are concerned that he may be able to profit from his content on the platform. How dare he profit from his platform, from his content, if he has been accused of such heinous crimes? I'm I'm being I'm trying to be funny here folks. It's an their accusations. These people haven't even gone on the record and then this all is happening in the context of Megan Kelly herself who I ad, I admire and agree with most of the time coming on and saying why are we defending this guy? And it got me thinking about a few different elements. I need to share this with you real fast. So these are Megan Kelly's comments yesterday. Listen. We don't need him. Why why would anybody expend capital defending mm. this guy. We have absolutely lovely, brilliant, honorable, thinking, polite, respectful men everywhere on this side of the aisle. And frankly, there's a lot on the other side of the aisle too. But I'm just saying the need, there's no need to own Russell Brand or make sure he doesn't get diminished in the face of these incredibly weighty charges. Okay. Now her point, right? has to do with Russell Brand, and I believe I called him this here on this program this week, being a man whore. She's not wrong. And the Russell Brand that existed back in the day, because now, of course, as I understand, he's, he's married, he's settled down, he's with the woman, and he's given up his crazy, you know, sexually charged, um, if you believe the Channel 4 dispatches, rapist to past... Uh, he's hung up his, his, his raping, and he's now uh, settled down and been a family man. But going back to his past, he's made no bones about it. Hugely promiscuous, rude, obnoxious, uh, vulgar, too, guy. And Megyn Kelly's point is, why do we defend them? Why do we defend him, right? Why this, can't we get behind somebody else? And I fundamentally disagree with her, not on the point of him being a waste to, you know, based on his background and past, I, I, I'm, by the way, you want my, I, I've had a thinking a lot about this. And I've heard from, from uh, many of you, you've emailed me and said, well, Sam, you know, I, this guy's really kind of a, a, a despicable guy. Um, we understand that he says some good things now, but he has a despicable past. And, you know, I thought about it and I thought, you know, one of the, one of the things to understand is that there is virtue in clean living. There is virtue, right? If you are a guy and you're going on thousands of dates, you're taking out thousands of girls, you're sleeping with hundreds upon hundreds of them, the chances of one of those girls coming around and feeling used doesn't mean it's criminal rape, but feeling used and then perhaps in her mind rearranging some facts and later accusing you, that, that the likelihood of that goes up and up the more you engage in promiscuity and that type of behavior. I'm right about this. It's a fundamental truth. Now, again, it doesn't mean, it does not mean that, you know, this doesn't mean that this creates a criminal culpability, but it definitely creates enormous risk. So if you ask me what kind of advice am I giving my son, for example, as a young man, and even my daughters, as they go out into the world, 
you know, don't be Russell Brand, okay? Don't be Russell Brand, you know, 10, 15 years ago. That's not a good idea. It's bad for your health. It's bad for your soul. And frankly, it can all catch up to you in a moment's notice. But the story here, and this is where I'm so sorry, but Megan Kelly, I love you, but you're getting it wrong. The story here is that it was all acceptable to the media. It was all acceptable to everybody that employed him and paid him and exalted him. All these left-wing Hollywood companies that, that, that promoted him, it was all fine. So long as he was one of them. And it stopped being okay. He lost their protection at the precise time that he started going off script. That this isn't a con, that his behavior, and let's say best case scenario, right? And I, I tell you, this all, some, some of this could be, end up being provable, proven in, 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 in fact and in law that he did this. I've told you three possibilities. It didn't happen. Some of it happened and some of it didn't happen. None of it happened. Those are the three possibilities here. But I'm a believer in due process. I'm a believer in law and order. I'm a believer in people being able to confront their accusers as our constitution allows them to do. Each and every one of us have that right. But I'm also uh, looking at this going, you know, why are we not condemning, you know, where's our outrage over Hollywood promoting this lifestyle and thinking it's great and glorious, infecting young people with a very misguided and, and um, damaging belief that to be worthy out there in the world, you've got to whore around, right? And these people get to get off the hook and the guy that, turned his life around and, and, you know, and moved himself away from it and got himself into a family life, now has to contend with becoming the face of this campaign. And I'm, I'm again, I'm going to say it. It's all because he fell out of favor with the establishment media. Now, you're probably thinking, Sam, you said you're going to link everything together, and I'm going to do that. See, when you go back, and if you missed it last hour, you'll want to hear my explanation and takedown of Dave Portnoy talking to the reporter over at the Washington Post. To understand exactly how fallible this reporting could end up being and how truly despicable it is that a uh, this is not a house. Uh, this is not in the house. This is um, this letter here from Parliament, I believe, went from the House of Lords. So not from the lower chamber, but it, it went from the House of Lords. Yes, this lady that wrote it uh, is her name is one second Caroline Dinanage. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but demanding that Russ, uh, Russell Brand be stripped of his income based on allegations alone, allegations made by reporters who you can see how nakedly obvious they are in, in, in going after stories with a preconceived notion of what the facts are. And that is my problem here. And that is worth, to answer Megyn Kelly, that is worth defending. And I'll defend that as a conservative tooth and nail uh, to, my, to my dying breath. 
So why, when she says, why would anybody expend capital defending this guy? I, I am defending anyone and everyone who is put in this circumstance, in this position, because we need to get back to waiting for process, due process, to bear out the facts. Trusting the media here? Don't think so. Trusting some journalists who interviewed lots of no-name sources, people who are shaded, who aren't coming forward. And by the way, think about this. What damage does this do to real victims? Let's answer that in a moment and hear from Rose McGowan, who herself has a little bit of experience on coming forward and making accusations of, of rape and sexual assault. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Welcome back, folks. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. By the way, as Budweiser is looking to stop cutting tails off Clydesdale horses, and uh, I guess that's the... That's that's the fight that we need to do to save the world. Um, they're also losing fridge space. By the way, Bud Light is uh, Walmart, 7-Eleven, a whole host of retailers is uh, giving up now on on giving dedicated space to Bud Light products. So that's just going from bad to worse. And that story is, well, in a word, a cautionary tale. Now, uh, the Russell Brand things, uh, Rose McGowan, you have to understand, uh, Rose McGowan's somebody who kicked off the Me Too movement. And, um, and, and you know, one of the things that, um, you know, I mean, she's somebody who came forward, made accusations, and put her face on it, right? Because at the time, that is what the journalistic standards required. So I, um, and I'll tell you, um, uh, I'll tell you this. I like what she said because she had a response uh, as to all this. Uh, she posted this to Twitter on Tuesday. And it fits in today in a response to Megyn Kelly saying, why do we have to defend Russell Brown? He's, a, he's a, 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 a womanizing, crazy person, kind of a despicable guy for a number of years. Um, you know, there's plenty of respectable men that we could defend. Now, she's not right. She's not wrong about the fact that there's plenty of other respectable men. And she's also correct, by the way, I think there's a derivative thought here that I have is that I mentioned it earlier is that, you know, one way to avoid getting wrongfully accused of rape is to limiting how many sexual partners you have in life and not being a complete floozy, male or female for that matter, right? And particularly men, right? So, okay, so here's Rose McGowan's take on this. I don't know if he's guilty. I don't know if he's innocent. That's not what this is about. This is about driving us further apart and mainstream media and media outlets protecting people on a higher up level from true consequence from what they're really doing and what they're really getting away with. And the real losers in this are actual victims. This is not the way the reporting is done. You have to go on the record. It has always been that way. I didn't make it so. It didn't make me happy to have to do so. Neither did it make others happy to have to do so. But to blindly and anonymously accuse none of these high-level journalistic outlets would have ever let this 
be published before. So I have to ask why, why now? Isn't that interesting? Well, by the way, something to, since we're talking about Rose McGowan, we're talking about Harvey Weinstein and the accusations against him, you know, she's, she's very uniquely positioned to ask that last part of the question, why now? For years, clearly, they protected him. They, they embraced his bad boy status. So why now? If you go back to the initial stages of the Me Too movement, back in October of 2017, uh, Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein, he wrote this apology piece. I don't know if you remember this in the New York Times. It was, I guess it was like three quarters of a page. And he, at the very end of it, said, but it was like 15% of the piece, right? He writes, I am going to need a place to channel that anger, your anger, the anger over the situation, right? I've decided I'm going to give the NRA my full attention. I hope Wayne LaPierre will enjoy his retirement party. I'm going to do it at the same place I had my bar mitzvah. I'm making a movie about our president. Perhaps we can make it a joint retirement party. Now, speaking of doing a mitzvah here, he is literally saying he knows this is not a throwaway. He knows how he can get himself out of it. This isn't some dummy who's trying to get away with his first crime. This is Harvey Weinstein. He has decades of experience raping women and understands exactly what in the media protects you from crimes like sexual assault. Guess what it is? Promising to go after the NRA, promising to go after Donald Trump, being a liberal guy, that is what protects you. And so by that theory, the exact opposite of it would be to, let's say, be a guy like Brand, who is formerly of, you know, Hollywood, you know, royalty, if you will, and, and an inside guy and a, uh, you know, buying into the BS, and then he turns on him. And he begins not just being conservative, but he begins calling out the liberal Hollywood establishment. So if you look at this from a game theory perspective, right? If you're effective at promoting leftist causes, you're protected from real crimes. And if you're effective at promoting causes on the right, they bring in a team of archaeologists to find dirt. So what does that have? They know what effects that has. It, you know, I mean, you know, they they leave bad people on the board who are effective leftists. And it removes effective people from the right, both good and bad. And that's why they don't wait for the proof. That's why you have liberals and governments demanding everything be taken down and, and Russell Brand be drummed out of a, a financial existence because they were, they, he, he was going after them. Why do you think that you have a member of parliament from the House of Lords demanding that he be demonetized? And people on the right are scared. And I'll tell you, the answer to this, the answer to this is that young conservative men need to be taught to be very careful, to be moral, to be upstanding, to be judicious in their sexual pursuits. And I'm not coming from a religious perspective here, moralistic perspective, really. I'm, I'm coming from a common sense perspective, which is what this damn program is about. 
But if you think that the government isn't in cahoots with the left and you don't think that there is any correlation here, I, I, I can't help you. I'm, I, you just, I'm sorry. You're either willfully or effectively blind. And that's not what this is about. And by the way, this is why the censorship is so important to them. And this is why you had Ardeen, the former uh, prime minister of, of, um, of New Zealand, uh, speak yesterday at the UN. She wants to crack down on free speech. She calls free speech a weapon of war. Global censorship, that's what she wants. And she's been banging on about this for years, but it's, it's, it's this globalist movement. They don't want us speaking. They want us in line. They want us to be, it's all great. You know, we can have lots of sex and eat a lot of food and smoke and whatever we want. We can do all that, but we better toe the line. And if we stop, we step out of place, then they suddenly turn into the morality police and all hell breaks loose. This is what, what it's all about. Trust me. All right, Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. I'll give you this next part when we come back. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Ash here uh, just sent me a story, I think. Let's see, is this New York Post? Hey, no, people don't. Ash, people don't care about the Royals. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law uh, sent me this moments ago. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were done with the Royals after this photo snub clickbait stuff. And I look at it. But she had a great comment, and it's it's it kind of fits in with what we're talking about today. Look, look apparently Meghan Markle and Prince Harry put in their final, you know, we're done with the royal family when they saw a picture be published that only had only had the Queen, uh, Prince Charles, now King Charles, and uh, you know, and William and George in it. And it was, you know, a, a photograph that was meant to show off four generations of current and future monarchs, British monarchs. It was, in a word, succession, right? This is, this is the, the, the line of heirs to the throne. Now, this photo took place back in, I think, 2016. Uh, let me tell you my response uh, on this. Um, I think, I've always suspected, uh, Meghan Markle's not a bright person, okay? She came in there, married Harry, and he, Ma Meghan Markle comes from the thinking, Hollywood inside left-wing thinking, that gave us Kamala Harris. Uh, what I mean by this is that Kamala Harris is the vice president of the United States, heartbeat away from the presidency, one brain aneurysm away from the presidency uh, because she is a woman and of color. Identity politics. And I am absolutely convinced 
based on everything I've ever read about Meghan Markle, is that she came to Great Britain, thought she was going to marry Prince Harry, and that because of her fresh new look that was so celebrated in the media and all of her, you know, little people inside the Hollywood Beltway telling her, you're going to become queen because what the Queen of England's going to decide, she goes, this is the future of the monarchy, and she's going to suspend the Constitution, suspend the law, suspend everything, and, and make Prince Harry the heir and Meghan Markle, the queen, and that's going to happen, and, and da-da-da-da-da. I think that was in her head, because she's really that stupid. And when it became obvious that it had nothing to do, <laughs> the royals don't care about identity politics, there are, there are rules that you follow. <laughs> and that it was, and that's, that's where the rift with William and all that, too. You know, so anyway. This is, and, and this is the fragility, too, of, of young people and, and the stupidity of young people that think that this is, that they can reorder the world and rules in a way that benefits them simply because they are of a favored look and of a favored background and of a favored gender. And why wouldn't they think that? It's always been the case, right? They they get they get away with all this stuff. So, at any rate, Robbie did. I always forget this. Is it Jacinda Ardine or Jacinda Ardine? I always forget. Yes, Ardern. Well, Jacinda, Jacinda Ardern. Well, regardless, she is the former Ardern. Yes, it's misspelled actually here in a Jonathan Turley headline of all places. Um, she, she apparently gave a speech uh, yesterday uh, at the UN. And she has become one of the leading anti-free speech figures in the world. Now, remember, everything that the left does is virtually in an effort to corner the market on speech and to prevent conservatives or anybody with an opposing viewpoint for coming out and, and saying what they, what they think because they don't want to compete with it. They want only government-approved speech. That's it. And that's one of the, by the way, one of the things that the lawsuits against Twitter that are progressing through the courts and will, uh, by the way, will make their way eventually to the Supreme Court and I think actually will result in a defining, pivotal decision related to speech and related to our freedom to express our views on social media without having them be throttled or taken down uh, is only a matter of time. And there are a number of cases, including the Berenson case, that are progressing through the courts. And you know there was an injunction that was now upheld uh, in joining the federal government and the Biden administration from issuing requests to social media companies to take specific content down, impermissible government interference and uh, deprivation of First Amendment rights. Of course, countries like New Zealand don't have First Amendment rights, so their governments can do this. Now, I don't have this speech, but I have her, her past speech from the UN, and it, well, it's just, it's, I think it's worth uh, having a listen to. Because this is this is Ardern, the former uh, former um, head of the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Uh, by the way, huge shutdown, COVID crazy dictator. Okay, Jacinda Ardern. There we go. 
All right, here's what she said. This week we launched an initiative alongside companies and nonprofits to help improve research and understanding of how a person's online experiences are curated by automated processes. This will also be important in understanding more about mis- and disinformation online, a challenge that we must, as leaders, address. As leaders, we're rightly concerned that even the most light-touch approaches to disinformation could be misinterpreted as being hostile to the values of free speech that we value so highly. This is straight out of George Orwell. I mean, here you have, oh, we value speech, it's so important, but we need to create automated processes. We need to create machinery that curates. What does curate mean? It's an interesting word. I would say it means sifts through what people post online, goes through it, and eliminates and separates from it the true and untrue information, which, of course her and others in the power, uh, you know, government and in the power positions are able to determine what it is. So that's, um, that's, I mean, that's it. So, so here, I mean, and by the way, the reason she's so outspoken for this, she was convinced that COVID was going to kill everybody and how dare anybody speak out against it. And she gives us an example, of course, environmentalist issues, Right. Listen to this. How do you tackle climate change if people do not believe it exists? How do you ensure the human rights of others are upheld when they are subjected to hateful and dangerous rhetoric and ideology? The weapons may be different, but the goals of those who perpetuate them is often the same. To cause chaos and reduce the ability of others to defend themselves. To disband communities. To collapse the collective strength of countries who work together. But there is cause for optimism. Because for every new weapon we face, there is a new tool to overcome it. For every attempt to push the world into chaos is a collective conviction to bring us back to order. We have the means. We just need the collective will. When leftists talk about chaos, one, they're always referring to circumstances where they are being challenged. That's chaos. At the start of this program, I was talking to you about my own experience in 1998, I think it was, or 1999 at UCI, University of California in Irvine. I was a freshman uh, there, and I spoke out against a professor for his choice of how to present the French Revolution and was immediately criticized. One of the criticisms, of course, was that I was, um, I was being disruptive, right, and I was uh, creating an environment where people felt less safe in the classroom. And you could insert the word chaos in that as well. The professor, rather than acknowledging my opinion, my uh, dis uh, dissenting opinion, and debating it with me, chose instead to single me out as a troublemaker. We are as free-thinking people, troublemakers in the eyes of the regime. And it doesn't matter if it's here in the U.S. or over in New Zealand or wherever we find ourselves in the world. We are the troublemakers. And they will come up with, with interesting ways to define us as problematic within the confines of decent civil society. 
And then, right, as she says here, for every weapon we face, and I would say weapons being, of course, some of the things I was talking about earlier in this program, different channels by which free thought gets out into the open. She writes, there is a, or she says, there's a new tool to overcome it. So for every new pathway that free thinkers find to get their thoughts out and to communicate with each other, she, the dictator, authoritarian, says there's a new tool to block it. This is Orwellian. This is 1984 come, you know, back, you know, and, and well, not come back. It was basically <laughs> happened before our very eyes. And, you know, th th they don't want any of us putting out our dissenting opinions. They don't want this chaos out there. They want, they want us all to fall in line. They want to maintain their power. That is solely and exclusively what this is all about. Thank goodness we're funding the UN to have this kind of bullcrap come out there day in and day out. It's fabulous, fabulous stuff. Okay, time to take a quick break. By the way, um, here's a dissenting opinion. The Democrats are really pissed off in New York for all the illegals that are there. Some of them are actually beginning to sound like Republicans. And they want us to forget that they ever, ever came out as sanctuary state and city politicians. But because we are not silenced, because we are free thinkers, because we revel in the chaos we bring to the left and to the establishment, we will talk about it. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT, you're listening to The What's Right Show. Welcome, folks. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. So, well, listen, um, talking about free speech uh, and discussing this, one of the f fascinating things is uh, recognizing that it's great to be able to point out a certain degree of hypocrisy when we see it. And one of the places right now that's absolutely astounding to me is listening to Democrats in New York. New York State, by the way, absolutely overwhelmed by migrants. New York City is at its breaking point. The state itself is uh, coming undone. Their social services can't keep up. They don't have housing. It's all because they have a variety of laws, including a right-to-shelter law, that they've put on the books over the years to be the woke paradise that they've always intended to be now explaining away why this is all something that they um, um that they you know that they that, that, that needs to be changed now so here's governor kathy hochel uh complaining uh, this is cnn prime times abby phillips last night uh discussing the crisis there um i almost feel bad for her about 41 percent of the people in our shelters today mm. are from venezuela they're literally from around the world West Africa, South and Central America, they're coming from all over, but we have to let the word out that when you come to New York, we're not gonna have more hotel rooms. We don't have capacity. So we have to also message properly that we're at our limit. If you're going to leave your country, go somewhere else. But the smarter thing is to apply for asylum before you leave your country, and then you'll have a different experience when you arrive. Yeah, and so then of course, you know, there's this right to shelter law. 
So she gets asked, the governor there in New York gets asked about it. Some people had, have said that New York's right, its mandate for shelter, is a draw for people to come here, and they've called on it to either be paused or rescinded. Would you support anything like that? Yes, I would, because the original premise behind the right to shelter was for, started as for homeless men on the streets, uh, people who are experiencing AIDS. Then it was expanded to families. That is the right thing to do. But never was it envisioned that this would be an unlimited universal right or obligation on the city to have to house literally the entire world. You know, this, you probably saw Mayor Adams in New York City, I played it here on the program, complaining about how dare Texas send all these people up there. And this is classic stuff. These are all politicians that run on a promise of being a sanctuary state in a sanctuary city. They've said it over and over and over again. And this is, I'll tell you, this is um, now, they're, they're dying, they're, they're struggling. Why can I ask, when they attack, by the way, when they attack Texas and state leadership there and are mad, how dare Texas bust these people or fly them up to New York? Why is Texas expected to absorb all of these migrants? Why not send them to the liberal paradises that talk the talk? But now, clearly, when confronted with a humanitarian crisis, don't want to walk the walk. And I think this uh, basically comes down to a a kind of fundamental uh, problem that leftist ideology has in this country, is that it all sounds so good. The idea of universal health care, we love it. The idea of free education, we love it. The idea of jobs for everyone, fabulous. Socialism and communism, likewise, always sold to the masses because it was sexy, right? It, it's who doesn't like free stuff and not having to work for it, right? In any way, shape, or form. Where has that ever worked? You can't welcome the world because you literally do not have room for it. And doubly hoist by their own petard, they've promised in law the right to shelter for anybody who shows up in the state. I was reading something in the San Francisco Chronicle the other day which is, I would say, San Francisco's paper of record, and they were uh, doing an expose on the homeless crisis there, which is awful, Uh, and uh, they were interviewing people on the street, and apparently pretty much no one that's homeless is actually from San Francisco, and they were getting into this, you know, kind of conversation almost, you know, they're liberal people, they, you know, want to help everybody, but maybe we shouldn't help people who aren't from here. What's what's the premise? (laughs) Folks, years ago, years ago, I spent quite a bit of time in Switzerland, a small country in the heart of Europe known for its independence, chocolate, and the Alps. Also cheese, yeah, they got good cheese. 
They're also known for handling welfare, granted it's a much smaller country than ours, in a very particular way. And I remember making this argument years ago based on my experiences in Switzerland with many people here in this country on the left and getting roundly criticized for it because the Swiss, if you present yourself in a particular town and needing welfare, they won't deny you the welfare, but they will send you to the original canton or state that you are from. They will send you back home, essentially, and say, uh, Sam, you are your hometown's problem. Return to sender. And it's meant in a way, I'll be honest, it's meant to dissuade people from asking for public support, weaning them off of public support, having public support be something that is only granted in the most extreme and dire and appropriate of circumstances, and that's how it ought to be, right? But I remember expressing this opinion many times and having people like Governor Kathy Hochul and her minions and disciples and even some of her influences shout me down and say that you can't treat people like this and you've got to you know, welcome people with open arms. How many times when we shouted at the top of our lungs for a closed border were we called racist? Oh, wait, too many times to count, right? And yet here we are, right? Here we are, and they are now saying enough is enough. What happened to them bludgeoning us with the Statue of Liberty saying, give me your huddled masses, and then going, well, here's Trump, and he's putting kids in cages. Sounds to me, reading between the lines, Governor Hochul is looking for some cages, or at least for a wall to build around Texas so no more people come. All these people from Venezuela, they're literally from around the world. I thought these people, <laughs> I thought that the Dems loved diversity. Just saying, I thought that that's, that was their thing. Good news is we can talk about it, and nobody is shutting us down. And even though the government-sponsored media doesn't challenge them on any of this uh we do that's why you listen to the what's right show all right friends i'll see you here tomorrow friday tomorrow wow the week's almost over have a wonderful time find the podcast catch us there see you later